0: Guard
1: is joining in, and he's seen Martinez, extraordinary, set it for Saliba. Bacary Saka beaten out by the race and touched in
0: by Jesus. Bacary Saka.
1: Such noise,
2: a crowd of Gunners euphoria. Hello, and welcome to the Bruised Banana FC podcast, where we are talking about a result. Eight years in the making, where Arsenal have now beaten Manchester City 1-0 at the Emirates. It is a glorious day. Uh, my name is Luke, and I am joined by, aided by, the Bruce Run FC random superlative adjective generator, the coldest Ben. How are you, Ben? Well, i tell you what, I'm not cold. <laughs> that was
1: <laughs> beautiful. Eight years in the making. I know it feels like we've come full circle now, and I know... Everyone's going to be saying it's without Rodri and without Kevin De Bruyne. It still took a deflection, but we, apart from the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes, which let's be honest, we'll forget about in two weeks' time, we dominated the champions. <laughs> like, how often can you say that? It's not like a it's not like a game how often where...
2: can anyone say that when Manchester yeah, City exactly.
1: involved? It's not a game that you lose or, or you win, but you know you've lost on XG or whatever. We've gone there. We, we've we've turned up and we've reduced them to one shot on target. And we've genuinely just played some incredible football, especially in the second half. And if the one team was going to win it, it was going to be us. And that is, it's so nice because before we've seen us crumble against City. You know, we've seen us go 2-0 down after 10 minutes. We've seen us concede four. You know, I remember when we lost 5-0 at the Etihad and Jackie got sent off after about half an hour. We're playing, you know,
2: Chambers, Holding and Kolasinac at centre-back. Wow, wow. It's incredible. It's an incredible day. I'm still shaken, to be honest. And um, not to forget, we're also joined by the cloudiest Varun. Talk to me about your clouds,
0: Varun. Oh, I got to tell you, that result in that game, especially the second half, has completely removed any clouds in my mood whatsoever. (laughs) Um, I am also going to make a little prophecy here, but Gabriel Martinelli is going to be amongst the Arsenal coaching staff in about 10 or 11 years' time. In case you're not clear why, the last time that we beat City like this, nil nil at half time, late winner, the goal scorer was Arteta.
2: (laughs) All I had in my head was, I think in 10 or 11 years' time, Martinelli is going to be like 33, 34. So I'm not completely sure, but I get that completely now. And actually, I'm going to start this with a story for for my day, if you guys will indulge me. And it it starts off with the fact that um, for classic sunday lunch i did not get a roast dinner but i ordered a pizza right from pizza Hut. delivery driver comes to my house i'm wearing my arsenal shorts because i'm hella superstitious the delivery driver comes out the car he's wearing a bruised banana face mask if you believe it and he sees me and he goes ah a fellow arsenal fan i'm like yeah very fearful one and he said well you know we've not beat him in a while but records are there to be broken and i said well i hope you're right and that pizza was glorious, and so was that prediction. It was absolutely incredible. So to, to divulge slightly,
1: what was on the pizza? Because you need to be um, getting that every week now. So we need to know. Everyone needs to know.
2: It was a chicken supreme. So I would happily get that every week, to be honest.
0: You're, you're allowed to take a break from that one next week while it's internationals. And then you have to go back to it.
2: <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. You don't want to fuel my superstitions, honestly, because they do get tend to get out of control sometimes. So let's, let's start. Talking about the game. So, firstly, I think probably fair to say all of us assumed Saka would play some sort of part in this game. It seemed like the entire build up was was building up to to Saka being. I mean, most likely in the starting eleven. I left him on fantasy team, <laughs> to be honest. So my fantasy team's in the mud, but I don't give a shit. But the team sheet comes out. So, firstly, Ben, when when you see that team sheet and you see Saka isn't in it, and you see obviously Jorginho's come into midfield. And 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 what are like? What's your initial reaction when you see it?
1: I'm actually just trying to find your initial reaction. If I scroll far enough back our chat,
2: um, I think you Wonderful, said it was which was very fearful. You <laughs> very said it was
1: fearful. mental. Um, I think was the exact word you used. But uh, I I I said I think I said at the time I didn't mind Jorginho against City because their pace and power in midfield had been severely hamstrung with uh, with Georgi- with Jorginho. Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne out the side. You know, if you put <laughs> Jorginho and Kovacic are the two players that Chelsea fans hounded out of their club for being too um, too lightweight on the ball. So having Kovacic up against Jorginho felt like it would be absolutely fine. And I thought it would be Mateus Nunez playing alongside him, but it was Bernardo Silva and Rico Lewis. And again, it felt like it felt like the right sort of game for Jorginho. Not in, this, not in the same way that against United, where they just play in transition all the time and they, you know, win the ball high and all that, but it felt like the sort of game where Jorginho could really show his quality because it was going to be a tactical chess match rather than a, a like basketball game. Uh, to be fair, I think Arsenal did really well in ensuring that it stayed that way, so it looked really boring to most people that weren't of an Arsenal or Manchester City persuasion. Um But I, I agree, it was, it was surprising to see Saka out. I was surprised not to see Kai Havertz in the side, but I did like having two sort of number eights and a number six, that felt more like how we should have like I, I thought that was how we were going to play against City all week, but I thought it would be Party and not Jorginho inside. And then I thought it would be well, I I thought it would be have us up front instead of Enketia like it was in the community shield, but obviously we decided not to do that. And I think Trussov was the obvious option on the left, and the back four sort of picks itself. So I wasn't as surprised as some people, and I I don't think I was as like downhearted about the lineup as everyone else. I saw a lot of people on Twitter that sort of said, well, now my, my hopes for the games and my expectations for the games have dropped off a cliff because, you know, Saka's uh, not playing and Martinelli and Partey are both on the bench. But I sort of thought, well, if we can keep it tight, we have the quality in the right areas um, to, to punish City. You know, we got a bit of luck, we got a bit of misfortune and we ended up with a deflected goal that won us the game. So I was very happy. But I think overall to start with, it was a case of, not as bad as a lot of people thought it was going to be, um and I liked the way that we'd sort of set
2: up, yeah, I definitely did have did have fears about that eleven just because i I struggled to see the so some of the balance in it, and i I think that the reason for that was generally that Chossard isn't really kind of a natural far wide player, and then if you as I was saying um at the same time you know if if you 've got rice up in that kind of left half space area, then you've kind of defending with that that pivot of Zinchenko and Jorginho and not really a lot of legs in that defensive transition. And then if you've got Zinchenko on that far side and Trossard in that middle space, then using Zinchenko in an area of the pitch where he probably isn't at his best and, and we've probably not really used him in that position at all. Like you made quite an interesting observation at halftime, Ben, where you said that, funny enough, Tierney would be the perfect option for this. And I, I quite agree with that. But I do think that having the option of Martinelli come off the bench was one of the, those things that really kind of flipped the game on its head because I don't think Pep was really expecting to to have to play against the the pace and directness of a Martinelli. And when he comes on, it just... It completely kind of flipped that left-hand side on its head because suddenly we've got someone that's willing to get the ball and has that kind of pace to drive past people. And Kyle Walker, you know, probably fairly fair to debate that he could be the best defensive right back not just in the country but maybe even in Europe you could see he's very tentative like there was points where Martin Lee was able to kind of get a few yards on him and create something and that's not something that that really happens a lot nextly I want to come to you Varun for this one I've seen a, a tweet from James Benj which said that Manchester City conceded four shot or um, sorry had four shots against us for the entire 90 minutes but only one shot past the 34th minute obviously maybe fair to say we used our get out chill free cards in that kind of opening 5 10 15 minute periods and uh, Declan Rice obviously had uh, a header off the line from their only shot on target and maybe also fair to say that Raya started the game a bit shakily but then came back in the second half when you saw that opening kind of that opening skirmish where Declan Rice has to head the ball off the line and we're struggling to get a bit of a of control of the game. What was your initial thoughts? Did you have any fears, or did you think we were going
0: to come back? I mean, I have to be honest. I think it was it was looking very nervy for those opening, not even just four or five minutes, where City had the really good opportunity that Declan Rice cleared. But I thought that um, in general, just in our opening fifteen minutes or so, we looked a little nervy and not not as assured of ourselves in our in our own game. Um, The players seemed almost hesitant to play the kinds of passes that normally are played between the lines. They, They showed almost too much respect to City. And I get that City deserves to be respected right now for the footballing side that they are, but we should be feeling as well respectful of ourselves and our players should be. They shouldn't let the occasion get to them that much. And I think that we would have grown into the game even quicker had the players shaken off those nerves earlier. But you know what? They they did eventually. We needed to make sure that we grew into the game enough to get to halftime, either leading or still level, which we did. And then I'm sure Arteta had words with them to calm them down and show them that, look, this game is here still for the taking. You're in this. It's not just by luck that you're, you've made it to halftime. Um, and second half, like you say, a lot of our players that looked the most... Worrying, perhaps, in the first half. They looked a lot more composed in the second. David Raya was the obvious one that he looked much better, more composed um, with or without the ball. Just looked more solid in general. Um, I thought Saliba and Rice were kind of excellent throughout, but Zinchenko had a couple of moments where I was a little worried in the first half, and he played his role really well in the second. Knew when to stay wide, knew when to invert. Was excellent to see all all through, and um, overall, yeah, I think as the second half was starting, I could already see with Martinelli's introduction that we were really going to go for it a bit more. And City realized that they couldn't go for it as freely anymore, which gave me confidence. But um, just out of curiosity, for you guys, did any of, did either of you or anyone else actually predict that our first home clean sheet this season would come against Man City?
2: You'd have to be a mentalist to predict that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd fully have to be a mentalist. But if anyone did, then fair enough. Because as I say, we don't keep clean sheets at home, and for us to do this against Man City is is crazy.
1: I think a big part of like, if it felt a bit um, cyclical, but in terms of like that that first ten fifteen minutes was the most edgy I think I've ever seen, ever heard of the Emirates. It was only through the TV. Um, it was sort of like. Arsenal fans were nervous and the players were nervous because the fans were nervous and the players making mistakes made the fans more nervous and it was sort of a, a self-fulfilling thing but it was it felt as though you know you know how some grounds you go to and you go to sort of like Anfield or you go to Dortmund or something and you get the fans that are fully behind the team from 30 minutes before the match to 30 minutes after the match and there's no let up it felt like we were sort of i don't want to say taking the underdog route but it was it was like a the the fans were waiting for something to go wrong rather than cheering on the team no matter what and you know I'm not gonna sit here and um, target fans that have paid lots of money to be there you know they can do what they want but it did that uh, do, do you guys notice that sort of difference and I think it I think it sort of plays on how we start games maybe more and more because I think Arsenal fans know that we start games pretty badly and though we didn't concede, we started the game pretty poorly, and the fans sort of got on that, and that reflected back onto the players. And the, I think after about twenty five minutes, you see Martin Odegaard doing the, you know, trying to raise the fans with his hands and stuff. So I, I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. Maybe, maybe it was. I mean, it probably was just because it was Manchester City, but there is an idea that we start slowly, and that I think that's coming through in the fans as well.
2: We are a fan base which is used to being hurt. And I do think that in games like this, where, and this team has been amazing at it, by the way, of taking those records that, that the teams that we haven't been able to beat in so long and, and flip them the head. Like it, it feels crazy to me that there was a point of time where we could barely buy a point away from home. We used to be so bad away in the, in the latter stages of Wenger and pretty much the whole way through Emery, our away form was so poor. And Arteta firstly came in and probably the first thing he did, like, you know, he was able to flip that on its head. Suddenly we were able to, go away from home and and dominate games still. And I remember really specifically that that game is Aston Villa away where Steven Gerald was manager and they were in good form at the time. And I think Graham's injured to Leno came back in. And I think we had a few more injuries as well. So it, it just felt like it was a point of, of time where we could easily slip slipped up there. But we were able to get the 1-0 win and dominate most of the game and hang on. And I think this is like a snowball that's been from that point where we're just kind of taking records and taking records. Then we beat Liverpool. We're able to kind of beat Chelsea. We're kind of beating all these teams that historically over the last few years we haven't been able to beat. And Man City was kind of the last one. That was like the, the creme de la creme of the teams you have to beat. The the 24th team that, um, that Mikel Arteta has played in the Premier League, the only team that he hasn't beaten, Manchester City. And I feel like we had to prove to ourselves that we were able to beat them because admittedly, you know, We'd beat him in the Charity Shield, as Vrun said earlier, but it's probably fair to say that it's not a game that Manchester City care that much about. Maybe they do, but it's a it's a game where you're going in and the timing of preseason plays a role. Technically, you know, it's just, it's still a friendly. It's great to win, but it's not the be all end all. But this is a game where, you know, Manchester City, admittedly, they're without Kevin De Bruyne, they're without Rodri. These are huge players. Also, we're without Saka, and Martinelli wasn't able to start the game. So, you know, both teams aren't at their best. But it's also, you know, you have to take into account that City lost against Wolves. They haven't, like, this isn't a team that loses back-to-back league games. Usually when they, they if they lose concentration enough to to not pick up the three points and lose, then the next game they're out for blood. Like, was, they used to say shark team. Like, they used to go after people. They, the next game they'd win like 4 5 nil. Admittedly, these are two teams that probably didn't get out of second gear. But I think that these are this is a performance from Arsenal, which showed that we can now combat them for the title. That's the mental block of it gone. We've done it now. We've beaten them, and to say that we can hold them to not just not scoring a goal, but to make them so so take all the what makes them lethal out of their game. Like you know, they've still got Erling Haaland up front. They've still got players like like Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva in their team. They've still got. Hundreds of millions worth of players on the bench. This is a team that, you know, really has like you know the the riches of football, and we're able to take them to one shot on target and one shot in total past the fifth minute. Varun, you, what do you think? Do you feel like this is a landmark moment? What is the what is the magnitude of this victory?
0: I think we were building up towards this, uh, towards this. Like you said, we had we had to prove it to ourselves, and we slowly have worked our way up to that. You know, like last season we had to at least show that we were able to get a result against Liverpool when they were faltering a little bit. Um, if they'd still beaten us, then then that's a real mental block at that point because when would you ever beat them there? Um, even leading at Anfield, although it didn't stay that way, but like we started working our way towards first fixing our away form and then getting our home form, solidifying the defence, then starting to get consistent results against the other big sides. And you're right, beating City in the Community Shield was one thing, but then we had to follow it up by proving to ourselves we could beat them in the league as well. If we actually have dreams of clinching this league title, we have to be able to beat them in this competition. Um, And a huge, huge result for that. It also shows, by the way, I think, how important... Rodri is to this Man City side because the three games that he's been suspended for, they've lost all of them.
2: For sure, and and you know, last season when people are saying to us, oh you know like you, because Saliba was such a huge miss for us last season, he's such a transformative player, like he's one of the best central defenders, if not the best in the league in my opinion, and you know when you miss him, and you've got someone in like Kroppolden who just isn't at the level that Saliba is, or anything close to it, and it's so huge. And we saw that today. Like today, Saliba had Erling Haaland, the player that scored more goals than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues last season, in his pocket throughout the whole game. Erling Haaland did not have one shot today. And I've had conversations with friends who support other teams, and I'll and I'll say it freely, like. William Saliba is the Mbappe of centre-backs. He is the epitome of a uh, a Rolls-Royce. He is the best young centre-back in the world and he will probably be the best centre-back in the world at some point down the line. And it's only a matter of time until the Barcelonas and the Real Madrid's come knocking because this kid could play, he'd start a game for anyone. I'd anyone to tell me uh, a team that wouldn't have him starting. He'd start for Man City, he'd start for Barcelona, he'd start for Madrid, he'd start for all these teams. I'll go one better. Tell me a defender you'd rather have in world football. I I couldn't,
1: honestly. <laughs> it, I don't think any, I, I, anyone that watches with a level head probably couldn't because he has got everything. He's got the pace, he's got the power. There's one one moment in the first half where he goes, you know, Haaland tries to engage him in a foot race and he Harlan just bounces off him. You know, Harlan's down for going, claiming for a foul, but he's just bounced off him when they go shoulder to shoulder. And if you've got that frame, and I, I remember two or three years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, we were, we were asking why he was being sent back out on loan, and there were some questions about him aerially and how he isn't so great in the air. He's been immense. For You, you know, if, if you, there's no criticism that I'd level at him where I go, oh, I don't think he's particularly good in the air. Like, I don't know about you guys, but he just seems to. He has that Van Dyke magnetic field around him where he wins everything. And even yeah, there was one moment I think where he tried an overhead clearance where he was going straight to Raya, and he he sensed the danger and got rid of it. He's he makes the difficult things look easy, and they're he, they're things that with all due respect, to them players like Rob Holding wouldn't even be trying. You know, trying to get out of trouble, they'd be going long. But Saliba just has so much confidence in his own ability, and if he loses it, his ability to get back that i i don't think there's a player in i don't think there's a centre back in world football that i'd rather have over him right now
0: the thing is that i think for me yes saliba is hugely talented and i wouldn't swap him for anyone but i have to give a huge credit to the partnership between gabriel and saliba because i think the bicycle kick clearance that we saw in the first half that was gabriel that did that but the two of them just complement each other so well and i think i i don't think i would swap either one because they're both very good but the combination elevates them both to another level i think
2: i think they're two players that can meld together so easily because they both have not only similar attributes but they have almost like they're not they're not the same player but they have everything all the ingredients that you want in a in a modern center back in the sense they can both play with the ball at their feet they both have pace they're both strong stylistically i think they're different i think they're Gabriel's maybe more of, you know, that that kind of big physical centre back in his not in terms of just height and, and and frame, but more just in terms of like his mentality. Like when he goes in for a challenge, he plows through people. I think Saliba's even though he's got that physicality to his game, he's also maybe more of like that kind of classy defender. I, I really agree with the Van Dyke comparison that Ben put out there because I think Van Dyke was one of those players in his prime that you just felt like there was that force field around him. Like he always made the right decision. He was always that little bit quicker than everyone around him. He was always able to just kind of bump people off. Saliba has that that aura and that energy about him where it just feels like when he's in that area, he can deal with anyone. And today we've seen him deal with probably the best pure number nine in the world today with relative ease. And that isn't just down to Saliba, obviously like the the team's, the team's shape out of possession today was outstanding. Um, you saw the the hunger and the drive from the team to to defend. And and the okay, another next, I think the next player to talk about is probably the player that we didn't expect we'd see because, because another player that was running back at every opportunity was the guy that came in at half-time, and that was Martinelli. And I think he was a catalyst for that second-half performance that probably wasn't, again, the best attacking performance we're ever going to have because we didn't create much either. But... Just that—that that drive and that determination. I think that he flipped that game on his head. So, Ben, when we are missing Saka, and and you've gone through a first half where we probably fair to say we struggled to kind of create something, and you can bring on a player like Martinelli, and he has that mentality about him. Like, like, what do you think the ceiling is for Martinelli? Because he's—he just feels like he he's there to make the difference, and he does it in the big game so much. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say.
1: We've said a lot about Mikel Arteta's substitutions in the past, but I think he got every single one of them spot on today. Um, and you know, the the proof was very much in the in the pudding and the result. But Ma- Martinelli is, I, th- I think that the the blow of having of lost Saka would have been much less um, felt among the Arsenal fan base if Martinelli had been on the other flank. Like when you when you look at a front three of Trossard and Ketia Jesus, they're good, but there's no x-factor i suppose especially with jay who's out wide and not through the middle whereas with martinelli you've got that sheer pace you've got the player that gets you off the seat i think his first touch was like a a little like back heel knockdown from memory that was just sort of like okay i'm here to be you know i'm here to make a difference and i think he was he was so good for those 45 minutes that you know you want you wanted him to start obviously but you wanted to get into the you wanted to just get into the break, as Vernon said already. You don't want to be down too badly. You don't want to be out of the game because we have the players on the bench to make the difference. With with Martinelli, with Party, with even Tomiyasu, Fabio Vieira, Kai Havertz, that bench is now a place where we have killers. Where before it was like a you weaken the team when you make substitutes, and we've seen Arteta's reticence to make substitutes before. But this now it feels like we can actually strengthen our side and play different ways with the substitutes that. We have on the bench, which is such a nice change, I suppose. And you know, you really saw that because but in the first half, Trossard was sort of getting the ball to feet, looking back inside, or going. There was a really nice switch that he played to Jesus, but Martinelli was happy to run Carl Walker, and that is in itself quite impressive because a lot of a lot of players will look up. I mean, Trossard did look at Carl Walker and goes, "I probably can't run round you, so I'm going to." come back in, recirculate you know, the ball. But Martinelli was out to say, you know what, sure, I'll try and take you on, do whatever. And I think the more points of difference you have in the team, the better. And obviously he was, you know, he was, he didn't get the ball that much, but when he did, it always felt like something was going to happen. And he was the one that ultimately got the goal by just having the effort. So I think if he'd been playing the whole game, Arsenal fans would have been much less um, pessimistic about the result, because I just think that he's the sort of player that, you think can do damage to teams regardless of whether they have
2: four of the best defenders in the world in their back four yeah i completely agree and one things i really want to point out is like over the last few years martinelli has matured a lot but the one thing he hasn't really lost in that maturity is that fearlessness the, the the thing that when we first signed him we were so impressed with the fact that he can be up against Carl walker and still think i've got you i've got you i'm going to give you a go here and it was really incredible but you know this result in itself, as I said before, it's eight years in the making. It's incredible. Um, to be able to take three points off of them is a massive blow to Man City. And, and you know, we're saying before the game, um, a lot of the discourse on Twitter and uh, and generally among the Arsenal fan base is is how much pressure is really on this game because obviously City are a great team. Obviously, we're potentially missing players as, as were they. How much pressure is on Arsenal to win this game? And I think that if you're a team that's aspiring to win the title, then you have to put pressure on yourself to win your home games against these kind of teams. Like losing it wouldn't have put us out of the title race, but winning it is that marker, and it's the marker that shows we can go on. But it, as, even though in isolation, this this uh, result is incredible. It can't just be a result in isolation. It has to be a springboard now. So next one coming back to you, Varun, After the international period that we're going into now in the league, we go to Stamford Bridge next. The, you know, a Chelsea team that having a poor season but it looks like they're starting to kind of get it together a bit so you know um, and we saw that they had a good game against Liverpool which is I think as far as I can remember the only other game they had against a quote-unquote big team um, and then we go to Sevilla away in the Champions League and then we've kind of got um, another, another few hard fixtures. actually we've got Sheffield United at home which is probably the easiest of the lot admittedly because they've been looked quite poor then we got West Ham away in the EFL Cup, Newcastle away and then back to Sevilla so what I want to say to you now is in those kind of games where you have Chelsea away, Sheffield United at home, Newcastle away, there's a big nine points there to potentially get in, in three, like like at least two like tough games. How much points do you expect Arsenal to get out of that? And do you think there's a pressure on us to try and get at minimum kind of like six, seven?
0: We, I think we need to make sure that we're getting at least seven. Um, like you say, this result today in isolation is, is very good, but you can also look at it in another perspective that before the first 10 games, we've already played Manchester United, Tottenham, Man City and come with seven points from those nine. Now, admittedly, probably we would have wanted nine from nine there and the Spurs one, we kind of gifted them Uh, a way back into the game ourselves but water under the bridge it's it's a very very solid start we haven't lost yet we need to maintain that um generally we've been decent at chelsea over the last few years and i think we absolutely have to it's difficult to predict how that match will go at the moment because obviously momentum gets halted with the international break we don't know what will happen in terms of players that maybe play and don't become available for either team uh during during the break while they represent their countries. Uh, but we need to get at least seven points. I would say Newcastle is probably the tougher opponent right now from what we've seen in the league. So we kind of have to aim to beat Chelsea and Sheffield United. And then at, at minimum, we have to take a point away from Newcastle, I would say. But obviously, if we really have strong claims on this title race, we should be going for nine from nine.
2: As has to be the the hope, doesn't it? We have to, at this point in time, as I said before, we've got to put pressure on ourselves to to do things that people who win the league do. And that's win tough games, which, you know, Chelsea were Newcastle away, two potentially very tough games, especially Newcastle away, who I think they drew today, but obviously, you know, their form recently can't be ignored. And then, you know, you have to go to teams like Sheffield United, who pushed Man City close and also pushed Spurs close. So we know that even though they're, not really looking like they're up to level that when they play the big teams they can be a nuisance so we can't go into that game expecting to just them to roll over and win it like they did against Newcastle per se because they've shown that they can have those games where they can stand up to the big teams so the last thing I want to talk about and you alluded to this actually Ben is the substitutions and that you know in the past our test substitutions aren't always great but you know, we already spoke about Martani coming at half time and how, how mori played. And then also in the seventy fifth minute, you know, that he kind of summoned the beefcakes where he brings on Thomas Party, he brings on Kai kind of Havertz, and he brings on Takahiro Tomiyasu. How do you think that changed the game and, and do you think that was a big part in the reason why we we're able to win the game? Absolutely. I think
1: I think I think the city f- changes um sort of sparked it. But I was sort of I mean, I was watching at home, and I was calling out for Kai Havertz from about fifty-five, sixty minutes because Inquietia looked like he'd run his race, um, and I, it was just a case of the ball not necessarily coming back, coming into dangerous areas, but we clear our lines, and it wouldn't stick. And it felt like we needed, if, if ever we were going to use the pla the six-foot-three player that we bought to hold up the ball, as he did so well in the Community Shield, it felt like we needed him then. Um, as for as for Tomies, I mean, I think Arteta last week said that he was the best one-v-one defender. Or he's the best defender at the club, or the best defender he's ever seen, or something suitably um, sycophantic. So I think that him coming off as Zinchenko was a no brainer when they brought in Doku, who loves to run at people 1v1. And Thomas Party in the midfield was the player that we'd wanted to see from the beginning. So I, th- I think all three changes were obvious, but really well timed. And obviously, like all three ended up. Uh, linking up for the goal, it was Party's long ball that Tomiyasu flicked on. That Havertz chested down, you know. But I, I do think that we now, as I said earlier, we have a squad that means that we can change. We're much more tactically fluid. Like we can change our system midway through the game if we want to. We didn't on this occasion necessarily, but like we have players that allow us to do so many different things. Even if we might question them, like individually, like there's you know, there's question marks over should Trossard I be starting or is he part of the. I suppose the Beefcake Brigade, he's not quite got the, the stature to be part of the Beefcake Brigade, but he. Uh, a lot of people think that he's better off the bench and maybe Havertz is going to... I hope Havertz doesn't fit into that category, but I think we saw exactly why we bought Havertz, weirdly enough, because he was, he, was, he was playing through the middle, but he was doing so much like holding up of the ball and shielding it really well and it, it gave us a dimension that we didn't necessarily have within Ketia. He's very good at different things, so I think the subs were really important. But I think I think also City subs were um, not 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 a question question Petwadiela, but I did, I did I did get a bit confused by John Stones coming on as sort of a a back five slash back four, and it felt a bit like it was shutting up shop, accept, accepting a nil nil, um, or maybe hoping to hit get something on the break rather than sort of going for the kill like we've seen before. So I think that sort of helped us because it meant that we had a... we They seeded possession a bit more and we had more time on the ball and that allowed us to sort of get our foot on the ball and make the right decisions and there were there were improvements across the pitch. You know, Raya was much better. I thought Declan Rice, we've spoken about Saliba having a force field, like Declan, or uh, whatever it's called, magnetic field around him. Declan Rice is another one, like Saliba, he's just... He was immense. I felt Gar- Gary Neville was giving him some stick at the start, of the second half, saying, "Oh, he needs to be better than he was in the first half uh, to justify his price tag or whatever." He was. I thought he was excellent in the first half as well, but he went to another level in the second half. Um, and I, I think altogether, like the substitutes, that it came together really nicely. And like, they're pl- it's really nice that we have players that, if all f- if all four of those players had started the game, you wouldn't have raised an eyebrow. Um, but they came off the bench to great effect. And, you know, that's a lot of credit has got to be given to Arteta because as I said before, we've seen substitutes left too late or we've seen substitutes not happen that we feel should have happened before. So it's nice to see like almost a, it feels like vindication for AOS for being like these substitutes should have happened earlier, but it also feels like a massive step in the right direction in terms of the learning that we want to see Arteta do. Because, you know, we, as a fan base, we've always said, He's not perfect, but he's very promising. And he needs
2: to keep learning. And I think this uh, today, especially with the substitutes, they were bang on. Yeah, it was incredible. And and much to your comments about the the way they keep heaping this pressure onto Rice. Like, admittedly, he'll always have some form of pressure because he costs over 100 million. But I do think that, you know, in all these big games, the the leading is always like, oh, do you think of Declan Rice today? It's like, well, he's got to play well because these are the games they bought him for. And there's an element of truth to that. But at the same time, He's got the win against Manchester United. He's one of the best players in a win against Manchester City. Um our first win against them in eight years. So I do think. But that if he doesn't maybe... score an overhead kick winner against Liverpool, then <laughs> let's be honest, it was a waste of money, right? exactly it. Yeah. Like like do people even I think most of the time, all these pandits and, and whatnot, like they don't even really understand what we bought him for. We didn't buy him for that top end uh that top end difference. We we bought him because we know that having that player in midfield is going to be an incredible addition to a midfield that is maybe lacking that incredible, like the set of legs. Like, obviously, we know that he's a good player technically, but just the fact that, in terms of like rest, defense, and pressing, like there's a reason why we've been generally like a better defensive team this season. There's a reason why we kept Manchester City to um, uh, to only one shot on target and four shots overall, and a big part of the reason is that Declan Rice just glides across that ground. He just he is. The epitome box to box in that sense, and, and you know, seeing him grow is a uh, is, is something that I think that we're going to be able to see him become a top class player. And I think he's going to become, you know, a player that primarily scores goals. He's not going to be, you know, a, a player that gets ten goals a season. But this this is a player that is going to make us better, and this is a player that is going to help us become an elite team. And again, this is a player that could end up being one of the best centre midfielders in Europe. And and I think people have to give credit to what he's already done rather than put pressure on what he has to do in the future. Um, but I do think that's an amazing place for us to leave it on an incredible result where we get to go into the international break now with that monkey of eight years off of our back, um, and then we've got to pick it back up again when we get back. So, you know, we'll be back with more podcasts over the international break, where I think if you remember that in the last international break, we were able to get Art de Roche to come on to talk about the Hay- Hayland uh, youthful uh, players. And, you know, we'll have more stuff like that planned. Today, I've been joined by the boldest Ben. Is that better for you, Ben? Does that suit your mood a bit better today? Man, I tell you what, if we can't be bold today, when can we be bold? <laughs>
1: And we have just beaten
2: the bold fraud, so I mean,
1: <laughs> you, have to, you have to take them where you can.
2: For sure. And also, I've been joined by the loudest Varun. Talk to me, Varun. How are you feeling?
0: Oh, I, I'm going to be loud today. There are already <laughs> group chats of mine that I'm in, and they're getting tired of me already.
2: Amazing. And I have been the plainest Luke, which isn't particularly nice, but you know, I'll take anything today. We have been the Bruce Banana FC podcast. We are have been talking about Arsenal beating Manchester City 1 0 at the Emirates. Have a good day and come on the Arsenal.
1: Uh, a is joining in, and he's seen It's Extraordinary!
2: Set it for Saliba! Poko Saka, beaten out by the wrist, and touched in
1: by Jesus! Poko Saka!